The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Pat Gray. Got this one. Glenn, and especially Pat, bashed Trump as he was running something terrible. We did express our opinion on him. I admit to that. Now, Pat is praising Trump. Total 180 degree turnaround. I guess I I would like to hear an apology on Pat's part. We would have ended up with Hillary if we'd listened to Pat. No, you would have ended up with Ted Cruz if you'd listened to me. Pat Gray. Weekdays from noon to 3 Eastern. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. This is the Freedom's Disciple podcast. I am your host, Jonathan Dunn. This is the show exclusive to the Blaze where you come for the accent but you stay for the principles. I hope you're having a, a wonderful week. The days are starting to get longer, the weather hopefully is starting to improve where you are, hopefully it's not as cold. I hope you're just having a, a wonderful time looking at what's going on around the world, because honestly, if you if you took it seriously and actually were concerned for the future, you might, um, you might crack up, uh, whereas if you don't care and you just look at it, it's hilariously funny. Um, we have a jam-packed show for you today. I want to talk to you about a story that's been going around the media this week. Um, it's a big story. I'm sure you've heard of it, the missing texts. But I want to take it in a very different direction than what I've heard some of the other commentators do. I don't want to talk about Trump, per se, or, or what's happening right now. I want to actually look at this story and look at what seeds it's planting for the future. I also want to, we're continuing our series on economics. And I want to ask you a very important question. I want to ask you, who owns your labor? And we're going to discuss that. Also, I think it's apt, since we're going to talk who owns your labor in our founding principles segment of the show, we're going to talk about the original writing of the Declaration of Independence and what it actually said, because it's not what you know today. And spoiler alert, in case you ever heard the following line, which is going to be apt and going to, we're going to cover in the founding principles segment. If you ever hear, you know, well, your, your founders were just a bunch of slave owners and, and they were just people who wouldn't eat and they were horrible people. Well, today's segment in founding principles is going to deal with who owns labor. It's going to be tied into that, but it's also going to overcome the slavery argument. And lastly, in our motivational part of the show, I have a set, I saw a poster over the last week, and I saw a lot of outrage over it. And I want to show you all about your mindset. Because when I saw this poster, I saw a lot of people been outraged about it, and I went, that should be the biggest motivating factor in your life. But that's for later in the show. We want to get started, because we do have a lot to discuss today. And we're going to have some fun along the way, because we have to. It's because it's so serious. But where to start? The FBI. So, in case you've been living under a rock over the last seven days and you've heard absolutely no news, let me just give you the, 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 the background to what I'm going to talk about and the direction of where I'm, why I'm worried about the future and this news, this report that came out. Last week, it came to the 
conclusion and they sent a, uh, the Senate Homeland Security and Government Affairs Committee last Friday, which is a week, which is eight days ago, if you're listening to this on Saturday, basically said, the FBI mysteriously, mysteriously failed to preserve five months of text messages between one senior FBI agent and his mistress, who was also a FBI agent. I'm going to pronounce this guy's name wrong, but I don't care. Mr. Stovrak, Stovrak, um, and Miss Page. The, the letter said, basically, the department wants to bring to your attention that the FBI's technical system for retaining text messages sent and received on FBI mobile phone devices failed to preserve text messages for both Mr. Stovrak and Miss Page. The letter cited misconfiguration issues related to you ready for this this is this this is uh, if you want to just sit back and just have a laugh this is like the best word jumble they i think they're just true words together they said a misconfiguration issues related to rollouts provisioning software upgrades that conflicted with the fbi's collection capabilities and the data should have been automatically collected and retained for long-term storage and retrieved was not collected. <gasps> now, if you if you believe in in just the world being ironic and and God having a sense of humor and just you know just just such the FBI were just such in bad luck. Like this wasn't just any five month period. Like the dates don't just like it wasn't just two random dates that were just plucked out of the air. That <gasps> it was just happened. No, the dates that went missing. These text messages five month period. Started on December 14, 2016, and mysteriously, they just stopped right on this day, May 17, 2017. Just just happened to happen, this is when the mistake was fixed. May 17, 2017. In case you're going, well, what happened on May 17, 2017? Why would that be, you know, what, what are you alluding to, John, that, you know, why is this ironic that happened on this day? Well, Robert Mueller was appointed May 17th. Now, I don't want you to read anything into this. I just just don't read anything into it. It's just pure irony. It's just it's the world going around in a certain circle. And the way the gravitational pull and, and you know, all the stars aligned. And, and if you believe in all these, you know, the star signs where you get like your, you know, that tells you your future. That's all that just came together. And it's just irony, just pure irony. Don't read anything into it. Don't get any conspiracy theories. Also, it's Hillary Clinton. It's amazing how we seem to... I just said don't get into conspiracy theories, but it's amazing how all of a sudden it's Hillary Clinton and and just five months of messages go missing. It's amazing how things go missing when certain people are involved. I'm not going to say anything other than that, but that's the basis of this. This is a very troubling story. Now, if you've been listening to a lot of political commentators during the week, they've discussed this um, series at length. I don't want to discuss the actual case. I don't want to discuss Robert Mueller. I don't want to discuss the the mistress and the, the FBI agents and what they said. I want to just talk to you. I want you to take a step back. I know this is very political and and it's Donald Trump and it's Hillary Clinton and it's the FBI and it's Robert Mueller and is it a setup and is it a conspiracy and and why are they trying to bring that? Look, there are plenty of other people who will talk to you about that. I want to talk to you, I want to take a step back and I want to look at, talk to you about your country. Because one of the things that is troubling me about this, there's actually two. 
Actually, there's many, but I, I want to focus in on two. One is, it's just as actually blind. Because if you do some research in the story, if you haven't, if you haven't, if this, if you're listening to me and this is the first time you've heard this, I strongly suggest you do some research of your own and Google it. And just Google FBI missing text for five months. A load of stories will come up and do your own homework. But we discussed this last year. It's just as blind. What I find troubling is it's becoming more and more clear in our society justice isn't blind. That there are certain people can get away with certain things. And I have disagreements this way. This is not a Hillary Clinton thing, by the way, when I'm talking about this, or Donald Trump. This is just a principle thing. I have major disagreements with people I like, like Mike Lee, the senator from Utah, very conservative. I have major disagreements when he says, and he said this many times on many different shows, you know what, we cannot prosecute um, our politicians because it sends a bad message to the world. Then you're effectively saying justice isn't blind, that all men are not created equal. What I also find troubling, just taking a step back, is, and I don't want you to just think of this as a Republican thing or a Democrat thing or a left-right thing or a conservative, liberal thing. Just take it back as an American. Just drop all your political hats from it and just look at it from an American. Is there anyone who can truly say hand on heart, put your hand on the Bible and go, yeah, you know what? I totally have confidence in the FBI. But going further than that, this is where I want to talk to you. What agency has confidence in America today? And I don't mean the right has confidence or the left has confidence. I mean as Americans that you have confidence in. What agencies can we look at and kind of go, you know what, they're above reproach. They are the, you know, God's angels. They are man's angels. They they are just doing there to ru- follow the right thing, to serve others. Because for a large portion, let's just go through some of the, the agencies. There's a lot of people in America who do not like D.C. And I this is not, you know, Donald Trump draining the swamp. There are a lot of Democrats. If you look at, I can't remember how long the polls go back, but if you look at, if you Google Congress's approval rating on polls, I can't remember the last time it was above 20%. I'm not saying that as a joke. I can't remember. I'm not setting the bar real high. I said 20%. It's usually around 10, 12, 14, 15, 16%. That's that's not a Republican thing. This is not a Donald Trump thing. This is a historical thing that's now going on for a long time. You do not trust your elected officials as a group. What other bodies... There's half of the country right now does not like the presidency, which is followed by other half of the country didn't like the last president. Now, I get there's reasons for this, but, you know, as an agency, as a body, you know, you can, you can dislike Donald Trump, but like the presidency. You can dislike Barack Obama, and I, I was part of this when it was happening. I dislike Barack Obama pretty much... I classed him as one of the easily one of the worst presidents in American history. Easily. Not quite the worst, because for me there are people like Woodrow Wilson. FDR. Did worse things than Barack Obama. And Barack Obama did some really bad things. But as much as we disliked him, we still held the office in respect. Go further to the Supreme Court. Has the Supreme Court got confidence of the American people? 
Do the American people, regardless of your political ideology, know that when a case goes before the Supreme Court, it's going to be based on its merit and on doing and following the Constitution? Or is it the case of they're going to they're going to all of a sudden become rulers? Are they going to base their decision on laws or what they think? Let's go further afield. The CIA. How many people truly have confidence in the CIA? The FBI? The police? Firefighters? Hospitals? Your neighbor? What agency has confidence? Does the church have confidence? Does any religion have confidence? What seeds are we planting for tomorrow? And when I'm talking about this, I'm not talking about, well, I'm worried about these, these agencies in 2018. No, I'm more worried about the, what's, what are these agencies going to look like if they continue on the path they're on? What are they going to look like in 2020, 2025, 2030, 2050? What is justice going to look like if we don't actually start having conversations? And it isn't a left-right thing, because people get caught up in this. Well, it's just because, you know, we just want, you know, they just want to take down Donald Trump. Okay, if you want to have that discussion, don't listen to me. I just want to focus in on the principles. Because I hear this line, and it's, it's, it sounds such a good line. But it, you have to understand, this line can mean, have the best intentions in the world, but it can also be extremely dangerous. And it sounds so noble, to probably use the best word. It's called the greater good. I'm, I'm just doing this for the greater good. And you, when you believe this, if you believe this is a good principle, it can be extremely noble. You can be self-sacrificing because you believe in the greater good. You know, there there are some members of police and firefighters who you believe in a version of this, that they serve and they put themselves in, in harm's way and they do things the right way. And a fireman will run into a burning building for, quote unquote, the greater good because he sees something and he wants to be part of something bigger than himself, the greater good. But if you do not understand this, you can also see there's a very bad side to this, where you believe that well, look, this person can't get power, so I'm willing to bend the rules just to ensure the greater good, in your opinion. If you read the text messages between these two people, you can kind of clearly see they believe in the greater good. They're wrong, but they, they can fool themselves into thinking, well, it's the greater good. Which leads me on to my next concern. And again, this is not now, I don't want you to think 2018, I want you to think long term with this. America, for the longest time, has got hyper-political. And unless a major course correction happens, I don't see you changing. Now, you just think of yourself and how you think of Democrats. Okay? Think of what you feel of Chuck Schumer. Now, imagine what they think of you. Because, you know, the the characters have been painted all day, every day. The left are just, you know, socialists, you know, hippies who want free love and free everything. And the right are racist, xenophobic, um, homophobic, sexist, horrible, Bible-thumping people. Unless that changes, what agency is going to be above reproach? If the everyday world thinks this, 
And people act on this through social media, and it's like putting a spotlight and increasing the intensity. How can you go to your job and kind of go, I'm here to serve everyone? Will people, will agencies like the CIA, FBI, the police, the courts say, my job is to serve everyone? In 2020, 2030, 2040. If we continue on this hyper-political divide. Or will we just continue searching, well, my guy has to win. My girl has to win. Once it's my guy, we're okay. And I'd ask you, what seeds are we planting for the future? Because the great thing about, one of the great things about America, there are so many. One of the reasons I'm doing the Constitutional Series, which we're going to do over the next couple of months... We're starting with the Declaration of Independence because that's the foundation. But one of the beauties of America was at your founding was you took a step back. You know, this narrative of, well, they were just stupid people. They were, you know, only slave owners. They were people with wooden teeth. They got lucky in the Revolutionary War. They were all just a bunch of, you know, greedy capitalists. You've hear all the narrative about your founding fathers. The truth is the exact opposite. They were very smart men. They looked around at the rest of the world. After they'd won the Revolutionary War, they were some of the most well-read people already. But they looked around the rest of the world. They looked around at places like England. They looked around at ancient Rome. They said, how did they fail? One of the things that makes America exceptional is the checks and balances, where you have different bodies doing different things. Where you have a president who is elected by the Electoral College. Where you have the People's House, which used to be the House, which is Congress, the House of Representatives. And then you also had the states having their voice in the Senate, which sadly doesn't exist anymore. It's just the Senate, it's just another voice for the body, for the people. But you had these checks and balances. So that if a bad person got elected... It didn't have too much effect on you because they're just one person. Even if that one person is the president, you have checks and balances. Each body can overcome the other if something bad happens to it. If It was one of the reasons why your founders created that body. Because they, they were aware of, well, they, I don't think they called it populism back then. They understood that wave elections happen. And that the country can go wave one way or wave the other way. But that was the reason they gave Senate six years. So they'd be imperious to these wave elections that might happen every two years because something disaster happened. Or a strong man came to power. That's why the Senate had six years. One of the reasons senators get six years and not two in the House or four as a president. What seeds are you planting today that are going to come to fruition tomorrow? Because if you continue on this path where agencies like the FBI and Congress and Presidency and Supreme Court justices, no one as a country has confidence in them, what are you setting up for? Now, I know people, you know, if they think this is a Donald Trump rant or against Donald Trump, which it isn't, it's about the future. They go, well, you're, are you alluding to a strongman? You're, you're saying Hitler's going to come to power. That is a potential, Sure. But why do we always go to the worst case scenario? Could a strong man come to power and just take reins and go, I'll fix everything and it will be all me? Sure. But it doesn't always have to end that way. But you can be planting the seeds for something, I don't know, just as bad in some people's eyes. 
minus the killing. Just as Tyrannus. How about King? How about a king coming to go, go, look, Congress can't act. I'm just going to be the king, and I'm going to be the king for the rest of my life. Until I step down and I abdicate the throne for my next in line. And because we're so much better than you. Because just think how unre- how realistic this might be. Where you all of a sudden have someone and they go, well, you know, we have this class system where it's becoming more and more engrenched in your society. Well, we're more noble. We're more honorable. We're, our blood is just better than yours. You're, you're just more of a commoner. You know, you're more middle class. We're more noble. We have higher ideals than you. We're better than you. Do I think this is happening in 2018, 2020, 2030? No. Could it happen by 2050, 2060? If we don't strongly have a conversation about individualism, about rights, about justice, about all being created equal, I don't think it's too much of a stretch. And lastly, I'll ask you this question. You know, I've been... You know, many people in the blaze are doing different kicks, and we all seem to think see the world in a similar way. And if you listen to Glenn, you you hear him talking about AI, and he's he goes from really optimistic one day to really pessimistic and scared the next because he sees all the the advantages and all the pitfalls. But we are talking AI is a real issue right now. We are programming AI as we speak in some way, shape, or form. What would AI think? You know, I know when I've ta- I've had many conversations with people about AI, and everyone goes, you know, to a version of the Terminator. You know that, and they might not know the Terminator. A lot, obviously, a lot of people do know the movie to remember, but they always kind of go, "Well, there's going to be good AI and bad AI." And what happens if you get a bad AI? Well, let's focus in on the bad AI. What would a bad AI think if they looked at our world today? Nothing has confidence. If that bad AI all of a sudden, you know, became super, super intelligent and became, I don't know, deceitful, would it be possible to go, hey, you know what you, you know what, you know what you need? You need me as king. And we might not use the word king, I'm just using a supreme leader. Because here's the problem. You humans have emotions. You humans have have loyalty. You 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 feel uncomfortable when you have to call yourself, you know, your friend out. Even if they're wrong, you know, it's uncomfortable calling your friend out. I don't have emotions. I have right and wrong. I have logic and I have reason. Something that Americans used to speak a lot about. I can be your logic and reason because I have no emotional attachment. I can just do what is needed. Again, I'm not talking 2020 or 2030. I'm talking about if we don't start having principles conversations, what world will our kids and our grandkids live in? Because whether you like to admit it or not, our kids are learning from us. What are they learning? Whether you like to admit it or not, what we do right here, right now, has a direct impact on what world our kids and our grandkids will live in. It's not just about living for today. It's about living for the future. It's about living for what future world we will hand off to our kids and our grandkids. And for those who think that's baloney, let me prove to you it's the truth. Those who still believe in freedom still talk about your founding fathers. The seeds they planted 250 plus years ago are still been discussed today. 
Because those beliefs and those value systems where we are all created equal, like we discussed last week, where you have certain rights from your God or your creator, whether that's God, whether that's Allah, whether that's a stone, whether that's this microphone, whether it's your phone, whatever your creator is in your mind, you have certain rights from them. And it's government's job not to give you rights, but to protect those rights. We are still discussing this today. The seeds they planted 250 years ago, we are still trying to grow. Now, what world do we want to hand off our kids and our grandkids? Because this story in the FBI is so troubling to me. Because it's if you want to be a conspiracy theory, let's put on our conspiracy hat for a minute. And let's just take a step back. If you wanted to be a conspiracy theorist, it's very easy to look at what they're doing and kind of go, everyone's just pulling the treads. The society is unraveling. Let's just pull this tread. Let's just take away confidence. Let's make everything political. Let's get half the country to hate the other half. Let's have no confidence in the justice system. Let's take away the confidence in the police. Let's take away the confidence in the FBI. Let's take away the confidence in the military. Let's take away the confidence in the Supreme Court. What do you have confidence in? What is the foundation of the confidence of America? Just think about that this weekend. When we come back, we're going to talk about who controls labor. Don't go anywhere, America. I'll be right back. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. Freedom's Disciple On Demand On the Blaze Radio Network Thank you so much for sticking with me, America So this segment I want to talk to you about free markets and economics And I want to ask you a very important question Who controls labor? Who controls your labor? And what I want to do is I want to take this in context of a story that America was outraged by about two weeks ago. It seems every couple of weeks there's this new outrage and we get this new hashtag and, and we all talk about this, this, oh my god, outrage, this is horrific. Now this is a couple of weeks old, but the story doesn't really matter. I just want to talk to you about the principles behind it. But the story was, again, unless you're living under a rock, you heard this story and you heard all the outrage over it. Well, there was this movie called All the Money in the World, and Kevin Spacey was starring in it. Well, you all know what happened with Kevin Spacey, and Kevin Spacey has... It's like he's just disappeared uh, off the face of the earth. No one wants to do a follow-up story, no one wants to see where he is, no one wants to know what he's doing. Just, Kevin who? Kevin who? Kevin Spacey, he he was an actor. Uh, Who? I've never heard of Kevin Spacey. It's amazing. Well, he was in this movie with Mark Wahlberg and, and Michelle Williams and... He was basically 
just totally removed from the the, vid, the movie, and they obviously had to re-record certain scenes. And of course, Michelle Williams, who's a co-star, who I have no idea, apologies, I don't know what she's in, uh, was paid $1,000. Mark Wahlberg, another one of the co-stars, you've heard of him, he's been in many movies, he's part of the Wahlberg family, He's his brother is Danny, who's in Blue Bloods, I've seen him in loads of movies, he was, um, he was in... Um, Mark Wahlberg is in loads of action movies. He got paid $1.5 million for his reshoots. $1.5 million compared to $1,000. That <gasps> this, this, this highlights the gender pay inequality. This, this highlights everything that's wrong with America. This, this, this needs to be solved. We need Congress to get involved. We need to fix this. This is unacceptable. Forget the fact that Michelle Williams, and I give you one of her quotes. I said, this is a quote, this is not me paraphrasing. This is an exact word-for-word quote. I said I'd be wherever they needed me, whenever they needed me, and they could have my salary, they could have my holiday, whatever they wanted, because I appreciated so much that they were making this massive effort. She told the USA Today about this reshoot. In case you didn't hear that, let me just rephrase that, or not rephrase it, re-say that. I said I'd be wherever they needed me, whenever they needed me. They could have my salary, they could have my holiday, whatever they wanted. Of course, this is an outrage. But but M- Michelle Williams, and you saw all the headlines, she earned 1,500 times less than her male co-star. This is wrong, This is this is this is a tragedy, this needs to be solved. That's the background for what I want to talk to you about. I don't want to talk to you about Michelle Williams. I don't want to speak to you about Mark Wahlberg. I want to talk to you about principles. The principle of who controls labor. And more importantly, who controls your labor. Because here's a question for you. And I know the answer to this in today's world and and especially in in Europe and other parts of the world. This has been ingrained to me. I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do I or can I control my own destiny? No, John, you can't. It's decided for you. Okay, thanks for that. I know it's a hypothetical question, but can you? Because I don't think today, I don't know how you can make an argument with a straight face to say, yeah, of course you can control your own destiny. You can control certain parts of it. But a large part, true society, true government, we looked for everyone else to control our destiny. We looked for government and for society and for these, these, these keyboard warriors to fix everyone's problems. So the question is, should you be able to control your own destiny? Should you be able to control the price you charge for your work? What I find so troubling is we are in this path, and I'm not, this is not an America thing, this is not an Irish thing, this isn't a politician thing, this is a world thing. As we go more and more quote unquote advanced with technology and our lifestyle, we become so more and more materialistic. Everything is about a material, everything is about money. When we talk about our job satisfaction, so much of it revolves around money. Is that the only consideration in our life? Is that the only consideration for fairness? But you're hearing this price, this, 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 this hashtag, you're seeing this movement. 
of, well, I, I believe in equal pay for equal work. And anyone who doesn't believe that, well, you're just a, a dinosaur. You're, you're just a sexist. You're, you're, just, you're just a hater. But let's actually talk about that. Because how many people do we discriminate against to get to equal pay for equal work? Well, how can you discriminate? Let me let me just, or maybe discriminate is a too strong a word for people who don't like strong language. Um, how about we we say a word? Oh, here's a great idea. How about I use a word from the left? You know, let's use their words against them. How many people are we unfair towards when we demand something like that as a societal standard? Because again, it's like all you know, the greater good. All equal pay for equal work sounds very good and it sounds very noble. But let's take that into practice. And let's think about all the people we are being unfair to. And let me give you some real life examples. Equal pay for equal work. It sounds wonderful. It sounds noble. It sounds good intentions. But how is this possible? Equal pay for equal work. Because we don't, whether you like it or not, we do not come from the exact same background, everyone. Are we been unfair to an individual who might benefit from more pay? Are we been unfair to the employers who wants to reward certain things? Let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about. Some jobs go for, you know, certain qualifications. And you see this among liberals as well. They push this. So let's take you have two candidates. And I'm not going to fill in the gender. The gender is irrelevant. Two candidates going for the same job. They have five years worth of experience and they have a degree. Now people would say, well, that's equal. They're both the same. They both have five years worth of experience. They have a degree to their name in their said field. They're going for a job. Surely that should equate to be they paid the same. That, you know, if they offered person applicant A the job, they get, and let's just throw out a number, $50,000. And if they get give it to option B, candidate B, she gets, he gets $50,000, whatever the, the gender is. I don't want to get into gender politics. Surely they have five years experience and have a degree, right? No, it doesn't work that way. Or should it work this way? Let me give you some examples. Let's say candidate A, their college degree is from the local community college in, and I'll let you fill in the blank, in a, t- pick the most smallest city in the most smallest state that no college, nobody's ever heard of this college. It's just the local community college from that state. And candidate B has a degree from, let's say, I don't know, NYU. And let's say there's a third candidate, just for kicks and giggles. Candidate C has a degree in the exact same field from Harvard. Does an employer have the right to go, you know that Harvard candidate? I really like them. I'm going to give them because I really want that person. They went to Harvard. I think Harvard is better than the other two degrees. It means more to me. I'm going to give them, not, I'm not going to give them 50000 I know that's what I was saying the job was worth, but I'm going to give them 52000 Do I have that right? Or do I have a right as a person to go, look, I know you're offering 50000 but I went to Harvard. That is the, and I'm, only, I'm not saying Harvard's better than everyone else, I'm just using it as an example because everyone thinks Harvard is better than everyone else. Do they have a right to say, I'm worth more, I went to Harvard? 
do I control my own labor? And then if they, if I go to the employer saying, look, I'm worth more because I went to Harvard, I want 52000 Am I automatically, if they offer me the job and they go, you know what, okay, we want you. We're going to give you the 52000 And let's say there's other people in that company on the $50,000 level. Am I discriminating against them? Are they being discriminated because I went to Harvard and they didn't? I asked for it and they didn't. Is that discrimination? But let's give you another example because this is where no one ever breaks everything down. Even on the experience level, I said the, the candidates all had five years experience. But f- experience is different. Let's say candidate A had five years worth of experience in his family's business. And his family business was literally him, his parents, his brother and his cousin and his nephew. You know, typical small family business. And candidate B had experience, and it wasn't in a family business, but it was in a company that had, let's say, 50 employees. They all did the exact same job. And candidate C worked in Google and had five years' worth of experience. Now, if we just use the blanket, well, they have five years' worth of experience, equal pay for equal work. No, they all did different, they all have different experiences, they're all at different levels. It's not just a number. Let's say the employer happens to have a past relationship with Google and goes, I love people the way they work in Google. They have the Google way. I'm going to pay them a premium because I know they understand the way Google thinks. They'll understand the way we think. And with the greatest respect to the small company and to the, to the parent company, they won't get it. They don't understand the Google way of working. Do they have that right to ask for more money? But let me give you another example. Because everyone wants to be dis- be outraged about different things. We are all at different stages in our life. And we all prioritize different things. And I'm going to use a very personal example. Last year, if, you f- if you've been a long-term listener to the show, you know I went to America. I went on my vacation. I paid for it myself. And I went and did a speaking tour. I paid for my my flights, my accommodation, my car, my food, everything. And I went and I gave speeches for free. And I asked people, instead of giving me money, you give any money that you, if you like what I say and you traditionally give money, give money to these two following charities. They're very close to my heart. And I don't know whether I've ever made this public or not, but the two charities that are closest to my heart are the Nazarene Fund and OUR Rescue. It should be obvious why. Now let's say... Glenn Beck had this great idea tomorrow. And Glenn was going to take all the staff for the blaze and he was going to do a tour around the country, all 50 states, and give speeches. And he had all the radio hosts. He had him and Stu. He had Pat. He had Jeffy. He had Doc. He had Lawrence. He had Ali. He had everyone connected who's a public figure. He even included... The podcasters, he included Zuddy Jasser, he included Cam Edwards, he included Rabbi Lappin, and for reasons I don't know why he included me. And let's say, even with the most noble intentions, we're just trying to, you know, revive America tour, or, you know, American exceptionalism tour, whatever name he came up with. What do you think our fees would be to do that tour? Would it be all the same? Would we all get the same? Would we all have the right to say, well... We're all going to get the same money. 
Huh? I'm sorry. Most people on that tour, a good chunk of them would come for Glenn Beck and would get everyone else. I don't know anyone on that tour who's gone, hey, you know what? I'm here to see the, for the Glenn Beck American Exceptionalism Tour. I just want to hear the Irish guy talk. Everyone else can just go away. That ain't happening. As much as you might think it or you might want to say it or you might have, if you have an ego, you'd be like, oh, there's someone coming for me. Realistically not. On that totem pole, I'll be honest, I'm, I don't know where I fit. Maybe in your eyes I'm different, but in my eyes I have, I'm on the last stool on that ladder and I have no problem admitting that. So we don't all get equal pay for equal work. And let's say, you know, Glenn Beck speaks for 15 minutes and I speak for 45 minutes. Surely I should be paying more. No, doesn't work that way. We have different appeals. They would be paid differently. But how about, do I have the right to say this? Wow, Glenn, I'm so honored you told me. It would just be an honor to be considered. If you just covered my flights and my food and board, I don't want to earn any money from this. Do I have a right to say this? Do I have a right to go... I will do this for free. Just pay my, my all my costs. And that's all I ask you to cover. Do I have that right? And if Glenn goes, wow, that's really kind of you. That, makes, that takes a bit of pressure off. Absolutely. Does he have a right to accept that? Does he have a right to accept me volunteering to do it? And if he accepts it, is he discriminating against me? No, well, you're not a minority. It's your white privilege. Oh, okay. That's a different subject. Do I control my labor? And do I, do I control what I earn? Because here's the other thing. And let's bring this back to, to movies and, and to people in sports. If you ever watched baseball or you... I'm, it's becoming baseball season, so I'm going to use a baseball reference. One of the people you have heard in baseball, you probably can't, I, I know I can't, I could not pick this person out of a lineup, right? I don't know what they look like, I know nothing about them, um, about their business, but I know who they are, and I know they're very good at what they do. That person is Scott Boris. He is an agent in baseball. So I couldn't pick Scott Boris out of a lineup, but I know what he does. He usually gets top dollar for his clients. He always seems to get the big contracts. Everyone knows this. Everyone wants to be his client. Well, not everyone, but a good chunk. If we have a system of equal pay for equal work, are we being, again, I'll use the language of the left, are we being unfair to people like Scott Barris who have a unique talent, a talent that says, I can get you top dollar. I'll probably get you more than you're worth because you're a Scott Barris guy. You're a Scott Barris client. Are we discriminating and being unfair to that individual has, who has this un- unbelievable talent for getting top dollar and negotiating the best contract for his clients? If we all just have a generic equal pay for equal work. But again, let me use a baseball example for talents because talents are, are appreciated different. And this is easy given the sports. You may have, think, you know what, in baseball, I'm going to keep this very simple. Obviously, the person who hits the most home runs is going to be the most valuable in some way, shape, or form. And we're going to pay for that. Okay. But let's say you're an organization who's like like the New York Yankees right now. You're kind of looking at the team, kind of going, we have a lot of power hitters. What we really need is someone just to get base, bottom ball. 
and with a bit of speed. We obviously have that, but let's just use that as an analogy. That's what they need. Well, that creates a demand. So you have, you know, you have a candidate over there who's like, you know what? In the in a market, he's only worth three years, thirty million. But the Yankees really need that. They really need his bat on ball skills, and they need his speedy legs, or he feels his position really well. We're going to give him three and thirty-six because we want that. But that's not fair because you're discriminating because other people only got three and thirty. Do you have a right? To offer someone more money. Do you have a right to accept it? Now I know a lot of people. If if you are anywhere near the idea of the left. You're going to be outraged by what I've said for the last 15 minutes. I'm going to give you the solution. Because you could take what I've just said. And I went well you're just for unfair people. And you're for. You're, you, you just hate people. And you hate minorities. And you, you hate a load of people. And you're just a racist, xenophobe, homophobic, right wing hater. What's the solution? My solution, I don't want government involved in contracts. I don't want, you know, social movements involved in contracts. What I do want is to empower everyone. Let me repeat that because there's a, the key word is the last one. I want to empower everyone. Male, female, black, white, Asian, color the rainbow, gay, straight. I want you to take control of your labor. I want to empower you to negotiate better and get more money for yourself. I want to help you negotiate and get a control your own labor and get what you think you're worth. And empower you that if you don't get it, explain the reason why and then give you solutions on how to get it in the future. I don't want government involved in contracts. I want you involved in contracts. Where you sit down with your employer, wherever that's a, whether that's a movie agent, whether that's a, a sports club, whether that's your local job. That, and when I say empowerment, to give you the solutions. If you go and ask, if you're sitting there kind of going, I want to be empowered, how would you empower me getting more money for my job? Go ask for it. Or this great idea. Go seek opportunity. Go seek how you can be more valuable to the company. Go add more jobs. Do more things for them. Work harder. Stay later if you can. Be more available. Say, I want to grow with you. I want to really grow. How can I grow? Be honest. Ask the question up front. I really like working here. How can I grow with this company? That might involve you learning a new skill. That might involve you going back to school. That might involve you working harder. That might involve you working later. But I, I do believe, it's if it's just about money, a lot of people just go, he just wants more money, leave him alone. Because the way I've experienced it, and I experienced it in, in socialism, in a socialist country, in a socialist system, was you have to work, you have to sacrifice to get ahead. You have to sacrifice to be a better person, to make yourself more valuable. No one's just going to come along and go, hey, I really like you, here's an extra buck an hour. Two bucks an hour, three bucks an hour. Now you gotta you gotta provide and show why you're worth it. Supply and demand. Why you're worth it. Why you're worth that extra dollar. What are you gonna do for them? Because in deep down employers and bosses are just like you. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? Why should I give you an extra dollar an hour? What am I getting? I want to empower you. 
regardless of your background, regardless of what you vote, to get more money, to control your own destiny. Because if you believe in freedom, then the government and other people have no role in your responsibility. Your contract employment, regardless of whether you just work at the local 7-Eleven as a part-time person, whether you work in an office or whether you're an actor, is between you and the person who employs you. Because here's the great secret that no one ever seems to say. If you get a contract that you think is unfavorable, or terms that you don't think are favorable to you, or you think you've been discriminated against, you can always say no. Always say no. You have that option. There isn't someone there with a gun going, these are the terms you have to take, and you must take them. When we come back, I'm going to link what we just spoke about to a founding principle that was in your original Declaration of Independence. Don't go anywhere, America. Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on demand. The Blaze Radio Network. Disciple on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. I just want to share a quick story with you before we get to the, the heavy, more heavy stuff and more principles. Just, I don't know about you, but I, I saw one of the funniest interviews I've ever seen this week. If you saw the, the Susan Collins interview on, on CNN, where you know her her solution to the, like the whole debate talks and to keep things form civil and formal was a talking stick, and it wasn't just any talking stick. I had like fancy knitting over different colors, and it was from African heritage. And she, if you watch the video, don't just listen to it. Watch it. She's clearly as proud as punch. She thinks she's like solved pi, or she solved a you know Rubik's cube, or she solved the world's problems. She thinks she's like I don't know found the cure for poverty. She is that proud. And I just want to let you all know, you know, I always give you inside information. There's no talking sticks on this show. Why? Because it's only me. I'm all alone. I'm so lonely. I miss everyone. I wish I would work someone. So, no talking sticks here. But if you haven't got a chance, Google it. Uh, YouTube, uh, Susan Collins talking stick. It's very funny and it's right at the start of the interview as well. Anyway, back to business, back to more serious um, subjects. We're going to talk about the asteroid that is coming to hit the world with this government shut... Oh, wait, sorry, the government's back open. And that won't happen. In case you don't know, you know, last weekend when the government was shut down, because do you remember the government shut down? It was only a week ago. I feel like it's so much has happened since we last spoke. And instead of talking about serious things, instead of talking about, you know, even immigration reform... CNN was running stories about how, you know, the government shut down, this this asteroid is going to come this close, 2.6 million miles from Earth, and now the government shut down, we won't be able to follow it. Incredible. And then people wonder why CNN's ratings are in the tank and no one trusts you. There's a prime example. But on to serious. Founding principles. If you have... Any knowledge of America, you've probably heard this sentence. It's in your Declaration of Independence. People can repeat it. It's one of the most repeated lines, probably, from the Declaration of Independence. They don't know the start, but they know these. You know, they know this line. 
We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Everyone loves to quote that line. Everyone loves to take that line and, and you know, then some people actually talk about principles and liberty and freedom and, and other people make use that line to go, well, you know, government should do this. They're entitled to certain things. But if you understand history and you know history, you'll understand that's the writing of, well, I don't know what you'd call it, but the second Declaration of Independence. That was not the original writing and there was one word changed in it and I'm going to talk to you about it today. Because the original writing of your Declaration of Independence was not life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The original writing was life, liberty, and property. And I want to talk to you about this issue right now. And because I want to bring it in to what we just discussed in the last segment of who controls your labor. But before we can do that, and why this idea was a revolutionary idea, to show you how great your founding fathers were, to show you how smart they were, why this word, the word they put in their property, and what they meant by it, changed America. And then I'm also going to dispel a rumor that they were all just evil slave owners and they just they didn't care about the slave issue. There's a reason they changed it. If you understand the reason we, they changed it, anyone who says your founders were just slave owners and they didn't care about the issue of slavery, just talk to him about this story. But we'll get to that in a minute. Your founding fathers were so great and so wonderful. They were so educated. They were so well read. But when... They were writing things, and they were writing the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights. They looked around the rest of the world and did their research. They read about England. They read about the king. They read about ancient Rome. They read the different ideologies. One of the differences between America traditionally and the idea of America and everywhere else is this idea you have a right to property. But before we understand, get to that, we have to make a definition of what property is. What do you think property is? Because today, I he- I've asked people this question, and every answer usually contains a lot of similarities. But it's because of the world we live in that we don't go deeper. So every, answer, every person I've asked, with the exception of maybe one or two, have all focused on, when I say, what does, is a definition of property? They all focus on material things. And even when I share in the context of the Declaration of Independence, they all focus in on material things. So what do people say property is? Well, whatever's yours. You know, your house. Yeah, that's property. You have a right to your house. Yep. The land around it, if you buy land, yep, you have a right to that property. If you, you know, have extra land, you, you want to like, graze or you want to grow fruit and vegetables or, or you want to you know, have animals, you know, cows and, and buffalo and pigs, you have that right to land. Yep, absolutely. You have a right to your property, your car. I have a right to this microphone. I paid for it. I have a right to my computer. Absolutely. I have a right to, to my bed. I bought it with my own money. Mm-hmm. Does it go anywhere deeper? Well, I have a right to the money I earn. You know, I have the right to, to keep the fruits of my labor. If I, go, if I say to someone, I, I'm going to do a job for you and they're going to pay me $1,000 and they pay me $1,000, I have a right to that $1,000 because I have earned it. It is my property. Yeah, absolutely. 
You're absolutely right. Every answer among those lines is right. But to get to the mindset of why the word property is so key and what made America different as the idea to the rest of the world was you have a right to your intellectual property. Your intellectual property, your thoughts, your ideas, your innovations, very essence of your emotions, what makes you you is also your property. How did this change the world? Because we said to people, what's in your brain is also yours. It cannot be stolen. You can protect us. So if you have this great idea where you're going to, you know, come up with this, you know, revolutionary thing that's going to change technology or is going to make, you know, processing power, you know, quicker or smaller or more cheaper. If you're going to come up with this innovation of, of you know, driverless cars or AI or whatever it is, you have a right to that. It is your intellectual property. One of the laws, because people say, well, you always sound like a, an anarchist when you talk at times. One of the greatest laws that changed the way the world works is the law of patents. You can protect your idea. Why was this so revolutionary back then? Why was this so important back then? Well, why it was so important was, back before America was founded, usually one of two things happened, and it was more common for one to happen. So let's say you're a, a poor person, you're, you're living in the example of the life you're living now, or maybe slightly poor, and you know you don't obviously don't have the fancy job you have now. You know you might be a you know worker in the in the shop in the grocery store, or you might be working the lands for a farmer, and you all of a sudden just through a dream one day, or through thinking, or through reading, you have this wonderful idea. You know, I, I, I have this new idea of, a, of you know, if you, if you change the angle of the blade, it will cut better. Just something simple. What happened was, usually your idea was taken by the king. And the king profited from it. And because the king was, you know, such a benevolent king, because he cared for his subjects so deeply, and he was just for you, he'd probably hire you to do the work and then pay you a wage. But he got the profits. The king got them. In some, that was the more popular one. In some cases, what you had was, you had the rich person come and go, I'll take your idea and I'll profit from it. Or I'll copy your idea because I've seen you've had a little bit of success and I'll mass market it. But it is mine now. I own it. And I have all this money to stop you. I have something you don't. I have money. I have wealth. I have position. I have stature in society. You can't compete with me. And usually they went working for them. They got a wage, and they, even though it was their idea, all they got was a wage. But the rich person or the king got root, reaped the fruits of their labor. Law of Payton stopped that. Said, I, I own it. It's my idea. You can't copy it. You can pay me for it, but it's my idea. I have a right to own that property. You're also there with your ideas, with your thoughts. They are fundamentally yours. They make you, you. You have a right to them. Even if they're wrong, you have a right to them. Because the ultimate aim, if you read the Declaration of Independence, is the understanding that everything they said and your founder said was, you control you. 
You control you, your thoughts, your ideas, and your innovations. And you also have the right to the fruits of your labor and to pursue your own happiness, your own course in life. But today, we don't control our own property. We can't negotiate our own contract. We can't, you know, have a relationship with our employer because it has to meet certain standards. We can't sit down with our employer and go, let's just talk about our contract now. And you want certain things and I want certain things. A lot of it's rewritten, pre-written for you because it has to apply to government statutes. You look at what we have in society today. If you want an innovation, it has to, the first thing you have to do is, is it compliant with, with regulations? You have a right to pursue your happiness and to have a right to your property. It is an enabled right. You have that right. It's what makes you you. But today, we don't respect that right. We don't promote that right. We seek to change people. We seek to, you know, mold them the way we think society should be molded. Now, for those out there who've ever heard the line that, well, you know, the slavers were just a, or the, not the slaves, sorry, the founders were just a bunch of slave owners. I've tried my best in the last couple of minutes to explain why property was so important. What made it change America? And by the way, just on a side point, if you think what I just said is the biggest bunch of baloney, prove me wrong. Let's take an arbitrary point in time. Let's not talk about principles. Let's talk about results, about outcomes. Take an arbitrary point in time, which everyone today thinks it's 2018. Zero AD. Think of the advancements we had from zero AD to 1800 AD. That's 1800 years. And now think of the advancements we've had from 1800 AD to 2018. We've seen more advancement in the last 218 years than the prior 1800. And I could go back further if I wanted to. But let's just take a point in time which is easy. The results are incredible. You look at the advancement. Take any part of society that you wish and say, which is not better off than we were 200 years ago? Which has not seen multiple amounts of increases and betterment of that sector than they saw in the first 1800 years? Take travel. Travel from 0 AD to 1800 didn't change too much. Horse, oxen cart, boat. Now you can fly. Now, you can, now certain people can get in a spaceship and go to the moon. Go to the space station. Why? Well, we'll get to that in a second. Think of food. Food and diets didn't change for the first 1,800 years. You went what was probably within a two-mile radius of you, maybe five, ten, max. Now you can get, you know, I got a pack of grapes this morning. It was from Somalia. I think it was from Somalia. Some African country. Africa. I live in Ireland. I can get Spanish ham. I can get Mexican tacos. I can get Russian vodka. I'm in Ireland. Think of medicine. Think of medicine from the first 0 AD to 1800. Now think of medicine today. We're curing all types of diseases with an injection. You see all these people who suffer from different diseases. We're curing them. Look at the big crisis a couple that was I think it was last year Ebola. It was like, "Oh my god, our Ebola is going to rip out half, it's going to kill half the population of the world and it's going to have major impacts and 
Now, it killed a certain amount of people. I think it was a couple of hundred, and, and that's tragic and it's very sad, but it was cured and solved very quickly. Why? Medication. That's how much our society has changed. Communication. For the first 1,800 years, how did people communicate with each other? Heck, let's see, let's forget about communication. Think for the last 1,800 years, what was the furthest person away they knew? Was it five miles? Was it ten miles? Was it maybe a person that they, you know, they left from a different state? Now you just travel through countries. It's everyone's been to America. Everyone's been to England. Everyone's been to Europe. So many people travel. So many people have communications with people so many thousands of miles away. It's so easy. I go onto Facebook and communicate with you all. Go onto Twitter, communicate with you all. Our lives have changed from the last 218 years so much more than they did for the prior 1800. Why? There are many reasons for that, but a large part of that is because you said you have a right to keep your own property. You have a right, not from me, not from God, government, not from a state, but from God to keep your property, to follow your happiness and to keep the fruits of your labor. All of a sudden, people had this idea of, well, I can, I can have a better tomorrow for me and for the world. I'm going to create something and I'm going to be- it's going to benefit everyone. Take how important that word of property is. But John, why don't I read it in the Declaration of Independence today? Why is this so few people know that was in there originally? Well, if you've ever heard the slave, the founders were slaveholders and they didn't care about the issue of slavery, you'd be wrong. You'd be dead wrong. Because the reason they changed it was because back in 1776, what was the other thing you could class as property? We've talked about cars, we've talked about property, we've talked about land, we've talked about houses, we've talked about beds, we've talked about computers, we've talked about our thoughts, our ideas, our innovations. Back in 1776, what was also considered property? A slave, a fellow human being. They knew if they put in life, liberty, and property in the Declaration of Independence, the slavery issue might never have been solved. Because people would always point to it saying, it's in our founding documents. We have a right to property. I think that person is my property. You can't take it because by your words, I have a God-given right to it. That is why they changed it. They understood that putting property in there, as key as it was to helping America, the idea become, they knew there would be people who would use their own words against them. That forever in history, they'd be known as the people who didn't care about slavery, who only just thought about property. But they changed it to the pursuit of happiness. Why? Because everyone, regardless of your upbringing, whether you're a peasant, whether you're a slave, whether you're a rich person, whether you're a poor person, has a God-given right to pursue your happiness and to be free. That is why the first two words before pursuit of happiness is you have a right to life and you have a right to liberty. You have a right to pursue your happiness regardless of where you are brought from. It is these words that laid the foundation for the Constitution, for the Bill of Rights. Because the Bill of Rights 
is not about rich people. It's not rich people have these rights. It's not white people who have all these rights. It's not straight people who have all these rights. It is all people have these rights, regardless of where you come from. And they're not from me. They're not from George Washington. They're not from Thomas Jefferson. They're not from John Adams. They're not from James Madison. They're not from the president. They're not from the White House. They're not from the Supreme Court. They are from your creator. They are for everyone. Everyone has these rights. Heck, they're not even American rights. They are human rights. They didn't say all Americans are created equal and all Americans have a right to free speech. They said all men are created equal. That is why you have to understand that context The founders understood the times they lived in. And they understood that slavery was a blight. Not on America. Not on England. Not on Europe. On the world's history. And what's so tragic is so many people today, on a personal level, love to talk about American slavery. And and love to dismiss and demean America. Well, you know, the founders were only a bunch of slave owners and, and we all know slavery is wrong. Yet they are silent today when there are 2 million people who are under the age of 18 who live in sex slavery and they say nothing. Slavery is not an American problem. It is not a British problem. It is not a European problem. It is a world human problem. And how sad is it that we're so more advanced in society. We have all this technology And yet today, we still cannot say there is no slavery in our world. Please tell me how that is fair, how that is right. But yet we look back 150 years ago or 250 years ago, well, the founders were just slaveholders. Your founders were incredible men. There is a rewriting of history happening right now. You know this. If you understand why the original writing was property, I tried my best to lay it out for you. And then you understand why they changed it. It is crystal clear. It should be crystal clear to this court of why the founders were more than just slave owners. They understood and they laid the foundation. Could they fix it? No. Is that a tragedy for the people who lived and who were slaves back in the 1700s? Absolutely. But they laid a foundation stone which Lincoln himself said there would not be a civil war and we would not have fixed the issue of slavery if it were not for the founding fathers and their words. They laid the foundation to remove it. And then you fought a civil war which we'll talk about down the road. We'll talk about whether that's a good thing or a bad thing because there's a lot of people have different issues and opinions on that. But they fought for the pursuit of happiness. That is who your founders are. Let us never forget the real men, the real women, the real heroes who fought for those ideas. Because they are not American ideas, they are world ideas. When we come back, there was a poster that went viral last week. And I want to talk to you about how some people's attitude, in my opinion... They looked at this poster all wrong. Don't go anywhere, America. I'll be right back. You're listening to Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network.
Pat Gray. Apparently teens are eating laundry detergent pods uh, as an internet challenge. Uh, a little fun challenge. Just a little fun, a little fun challenge. challenge. I, just I, mean, fun. That, I had a Friday night. I, mean, I posted on my Facebook page that, uh, you know, a little bottle of Baileys in a laundry pod. Man, that's a that's a start of a Friday evening right there. So the there. Baileys and the laundry oh, yeah. pod? Well, yeah, you don't. yeah, you don't want to take it alone. No. Pat Gray. Weekdays from noon to 3 Eastern. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Freedom's Disciple On Demand. On the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. I hope today's show, you're enjoying it so far. I'm challenging you. I'm giving you something to think about. If you enjoy it, please share it with your family, your friends. We're on all the platforms for free. SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. They're all free. They're available anytime. Please share it. Also, the short clips are up there for you to share. In case you think there's a segment of the show someone really needs to hear, rather than send them the whole thing, you can just send them that exact segment. We really appreciate your support. We have major plans for this show going forward in 2018. I want to finish up today's topic by just talking to you about a, a mindset. I'm changing my mindset over the last four or five months, and I'm, I'm working hard on it. It's, it's, it's not easy. There are times where I have bad days, and especially the last couple of weeks, I'm going through a lot of personal issues right now. Um, there's a lot of bad things have happened, and I'm, I'm just trying to just stay positive and, and to focus on the future. But one of the reasons I'm doing these motivational segments for you or, or just having a discussion with you is to, to, to change the way we think. Because so many people today have got into the habit, whether they know it or not, of just seeing a problem and being outraged. So I saw a poster. And if you're a long-term listener, you know, I haven't watched the NFL since week two, I think, or week three. I, I haven't followed any of the sports. I, I know who's in the Super Bowl. But you also know, if you're a longer-term listener, I'm a New York Giants fan. So therefore, there are teams, certain teams I do not like. Historically, I do not like the New England Patriots because it's a Boston-New York thing. I do not like the Dallas Cowboys. I do not like the Philadelphia Eagles. And I do not like the Washington Redskins. The last three are obvious. They're in the same conference as us. And we played them twice a year. And there's a lot of painful memories and a lot of happy memories of playing those teams. But you know, you, you don't like the rivals you play in the group with. That being said, the reason I share this is because the poster was an NFL poster and a, a lot of Eagles fans were not happy about this poster. Apparently, and I don't know the background of this story, I don't care, but a poster was released through the NFL which was promoting to get your NFL tickets for your Super Bowl featuring the New England Patriots and the Minnesota Vikings. Wait, wait what? But that isn't the Super Bowl, John. I know they released it in advance. Now, a lot of people, and I don't want to touch these rumors, a lot of people are saying, well, it's the fix, it's, it's, it's all a conspiracy theory, the NFL ha- predetermines the results. I don't know how you would do that with you know as many players and managers and coaches. Why would you go along to get along? You want to be better. It just I don't understand. I don't know how you would find that to make even make that work. But what I do want to focus in is the attitude. So everyone would think, 
everyone I know a few Eagles fans who were not too happy about this and they weren't outraged and I saw on Twitter it was trending for a while you know the NFL sucks and you know predetermined and a lot of Eagles fans on Twitter were not happy they were saying this is a really bad thing and this is not fair and it's it's discouraging and and we're not feel appreciated and all these different things you can fill in the blanks I don't want to talk to you about the NFL I want to talk to you about the mindset of it when I saw this my mindset went if I was a Philadelphia Eagles fan, this is the best gift we have got. Not because it makes us the underdogs or something or, you know, roots against, you know, everyone's rooting against us. No. If I was a member of the Philadelphia Eagles team, management or, or player, I would have loved this. I would have said nothing. And let me just, just take it from an example of a manager. If I was the manager, I would have looked at that and went, huh. I'm not giving a team talk this Sunday. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go into the dressing room before anyone else gets there and I'm going to push a picture of that poster in everyone's locker room. And my team talk would be this. That's what the NFL wants. That's probably what a good chunk of America wants. Do you want it? If you don't, get out there and do your job. And I would have said nothing else. I'm using this poster as an analogy. I want to ask you a question. Last, I know I've asked you a lot of questions today, but I want to ask you one more. Let's. I want you to make it real personal with you. I want you to think of a dream you have. And what I want you to do is I want you to visualize wherever you're listening to this right now, whether you're in your place of work, whether you're in your, you know, your living room, whether you're in the, in the car or, or somewhere else. And I want you to visualize I'm there with you right now. And I want you to visualize that dream, that thing that you want to do. And it could be something so, it could be something simple. I want to, I want to break 80 on the golf course next weekend. I want to I wanna create a, a fancy dinner for my wife. I want to feed, you know, 20 people at next Thanksgiving. Whatever it is. Whatever dream. Just something simple. Or something big. It's all on you. You can decide whatever you want. And then visualize that it's just me and you. We're just sitting there. And visualize yourself telling me that goal. That's something that you want. And my response is, <laughs> you'll never do that are you crazy now here's the question if you don't do it who's at fault me or you because today in our world that we live in so many people love getting outraged so many people would would respond to what just that scenario i just happened and would get on Twitter and go, John, John just laughed at me and my idea, and he told me I can't do it, and, and it's not fair, and John's not a nice guy, and, and John, John, John hates me, and John sucks. I want to talk to you about who's at fault. Do I hold the responsibility there for telling you you can't do it? Sure. But who holds the bigger responsibility? It's you. Because while I'm bad for telling you you can't do something, and I'm I don't I'm not letting me off the hook, by the way. But you hold the responsibility for believing me. 
So many people today look at at an adversary or a rock they can't do or someone telling them they can't do it and they use that to prove them right. Oh, it got hard. Mm -hmm. Life's hard. Oh, John said he couldn't do it. Yeah, and there was loads of other people as well. But it doesn't matter what I think. My opinion of whether you can achieve your dreams is irrelevant. Everyone else's opinion is pretty irrelevant as well. It's your opinion that matters. Can you do it? And could, do you have a moral responsibility to prove me wrong? How many people have you ever heard say this? Someone told me I couldn't do it, and I took a mental note, and this is, this is you know, take, you know, you can have this attitude or not, but that I couldn't wait to be successful so I could rub their face in it. How many people said they couldn't be successful and they, they took a mental note of, they said I couldn't do it, they laughed at me. When I'm successful, they're the first person I'm going to call to show them they were wrong. It can be something, reason like that. That can be your reason to, to be successful. Instead of being outraged, instead of being upset, use it as a motivator, change your mindset. Use that failure to ignite your future passion. To get you closer to your dream. Because I firmly believe this. There are as much as there are plenty of bad things to to talk about in society right now. And a lot of worrying trends going for the future. There's also going to be great opportunities. Let me give you an example of why I've been so focused on this. One of the things I try and do. And I, I'm a very, 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 very small investor. I look at the stocks and the shares. I've always had interest in it. And I'm involved in cryptocurrency. Very small investor. I'm hoping Bitcoin hits a million and then maybe I might have some money. <laughs> I'm, I'm one of those people who invested like a hundred and something bucks. Very small. But the mindset. Remember when Bitcoin was at 20,000? The one thing I've realized is investors and people who are optimistic and seeing opportunities and are looking for opportunities have the exact difference opinion than the way everyone else thinks. So when Bitcoin was riding the rave in December up to 20,000 and everyone was going, yes, we're going to be rich. Bitcoin's going to be worth a million dollars. I was part of them, by the way. I was like, yes, it's wonderful. It's awesome. They were just seeking opportunities. They were going to go, okay, how high can Bitcoin go? Go. Can I invest more? Can I make more money? Can I see how it goes? They were looking at all the analysis. They were still optimistic. We were just optimistic because we were riding this rave of euphoria. Going all the way up. Up to $20,000. Yes, it won't stop. It's just going to keep going. And then as we all know, (laughs) gravity kicked in. What goes up must come down. And there was blood on the streets. Everyone panicked. Everyone went, oh my God, Bitcoin's down to 14000 to 13000 to 12000 to 11000 to 10000 to $9,000. Everyone was going crazy. It's over. The ride is over. We've lost all our money. Well, you haven't if you've just invested. It's just, it's worthless. But it'll go back up again. But while there was blood on the streets, those people who are optimistic were not looking at Bitcoin going, oh my God, it's going down. Oh my God, what are we going to do? They were looking at going, this is the greatest opportunity I've ever had in my life. Because there was a lot of people, and I know a couple of them, who said at 12,000 and 13,000 and 14,000, sugar, I've missed Bitcoin. I, it just kept on going. I didn't think, I thought it was going to come back. And then I was going to buy some. 
it went all the way back down to nine and i know a couple of people who bought a tenth of a bitcoin or a twentieth or a quarter of a bitcoin or half a bitcoin or something at nine thousand dollars and they're just riding this out if you seek problems, you will always find them. If you seek haters in this world with social media, you will always find them. If you seek someone to tell you you can't do something, you just just tro- get out, go go to a public place, throw a stone, and you'll find them. They're easy to find. Anyone will tell you you can't do something. We do it all the time to every to people we don't know. We tell people you can't do it. You can't change. You won't be successful. We do this for fun on social media today. We're easy to find. But if you stop seeing problems and you start seeing solutions, if you stop seeing threats and you start seeing opportunities, your mindset literally changes. Because everything is an opportunity. You want proof of this? You want a real-life proof of this? Does anyone know today how the Kennedy family became the Kennedy family and became rich? Does anyone know that story anymore? It's because the Wall Street crash. Everyone was going through, everything was going, crashing, cratering back down to earth. Where the world, literally the world was going to cave in on top of you. Kennedy family just bought things really cheap and held them held them, and then they started, the crash happened, finished. Society returned to normal because it wasn't, the world didn't crash in on top of us. There was always going to be tomorrow. Like scripture says, this too shall pass. They held them, and they became very, very, very rich. Why? Because they saw an opportunity. It's a mindset. So I don't know what idea you have or what plans you have for your future. But understand this, you can achieve them. You can. I'm not saying you will, you can. So whatever you're planning, whatever you're dreaming, don't put it off. Don't listen to the naysayers. Use those naysayers as motivation to say, you say I can't do it? I'm going to prove you wrong. Because I can and because I have a moral obligation to. Now if you're sitting there thinking of a dream, I do have to give you a little spoiler alert and a piece of advice, if I may, as someone who has had many dreams in the past and has had a, a chunk of them crushed. The biggest success of the dream is keep everything within your control. If your dream is to build something, make sure it's you do it. Don't rely on other people. Don't say, my dream is possible if something happens. If someone else does something. My dream will happen if Bitcoin hits $20,000 again. My dream will come true. Or 30000 That's not in your control. Keep your dream in your control. I'm saying this from experience. As someone who had one dream in life was to become an American. But while that was a great dream, everything was out of my control. I needed an employer to give me a job. I needed uh, an employer to help me with visas. I needed a lawyer to go through my paperwork, to get my paperwork. I needed a court to say I was possible to get over there. And then I needed your Department of, I don't know, Homeland Security or Department of Justice to approve me and then get over there. Everything about my dream was set up wrong. It was relying on other people. I'm now changing. My dream relies, my new dreams, 
which I don't have fully completed yet because it's hard after having one dream crushed. That's why I'm taking you on this journey. But my new dreams revolve around sharing a message. And I will share with one person, a thousand people or a million people. That freedom is the answer. That individual is the answer. That each and every one of you has greatness inside of you. And you can change the world if you want to. It will take work. It will take sacrifice. It will take a lot of luck. It will take God. But you can change the world. So if you have an idea that you've been putting off, if you want to write a book, if you, you want to do, you know, uh, you know, want to become a podcaster, want to create an next invention, want to do better at your job, don't listen to the naysayers. Follow your dreams. Follow your passions. That is what I want to do. And that is why it's a large part of who I am. I don't want to be the person to tell you you can't do something. I always want to be the person, even despite everything, to come here every week, and I appreciate you listening, that you feel a bit uplifted, that you feel a bit more in love with your country, that you feel hope, that I reach out to your highest aspiration, not your worst fears. That is what I try and do. I don't know whether I'm successful or not, but that is what I try and do. I don't want to discourage you. I want to encourage you, and I want to empower you. Because while there are major things coming in the future, which are not, could be good, could be bad, there will be opportunities. And we need to seek those opportunities and have that mindset that says, I'm not seeing a problem. I'm seeing an opportunity to grow. I'm seeing an opportunity to get better. I'm seeing an opportunity to paint a brighter tomorrow. I'm seeing an opportunity to serve others. I don't see a problem. I don't see a way to get outraged. I see a vision of a way to be better. If you stop seeing problems and you start seeing solutions, your mindset, it, it, you, by the way, this is not a switch. I'm in probably month five or six of this, and I'm still getting to the hangs of this. It's a change in your mindset. Hopefully today's show is giving you something to think about. Hopefully I've pushed you up against a wall. I say we're on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. Share it with a friend, share the whole show, share a segment. I appreciate you from the bottom of my heart. You'll never know how much I appreciate the time you take to listen to me, the time you take to engage with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on email. I really appreciate you. You can find me everywhere. Have a wonderful and blessed week. And we finish this show the way we do every week by saluting the real heroes in society, your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, your vets, the men and women who 24-7, regardless of their age, regardless of their sexuality, regardless of their race, regardless of their political thoughts, go out to serve others and help make tomorrow possible and also make tomorrow a brighter tomorrow. And lastly, if you've heard nothing else I've said, hear this. Never ever forget... America is great because Americans are good. That's each and every one of you, not anyone else, each and every one of you. America is great because Americans are good. And the day you stop becoming good is the day you die. Have a wonderful and blessed week. Who knows what we'll be talking about next week. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, God bless and God bless America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. 